listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tvcweb.com. Ain't it good to be in the house of God? Oh, thank you, Lord. Mm. There is music, and there is music. Have we been blessed today? Thank you, guys. I heard a friend just uh, this morning talking about, uh, he was on a trip, and a, his guy at his hotel kept telling him where to go eat, different restaurants. He said, every restaurant was my favorite place, and every song is my favorite song when it's done by this group right here. You have no idea how blessed you are. Give it up again for all this. One of those verses said, a city on a hill cannot be hid. You know what that means for you and me? There's people in each one of our lives, neighborhoods, workplaces, school. They know we go to church. They know we are Christians, and they're watching us, and we can't be hid. And everything we do gets to show them how much we love the Lord. And today, what a joy. Red letter verse for me says that when Jesus was talking, he said, whatever you do for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you do for me. Whatever you and I do for someone, we get to do it for Jesus. Dave was sharing this morning how he goes to hospice and visits people and gives their loved one a break for two or three hours at different times. And they're dying. They just need comfort. But he gets to go and visit Jesus. I love the opportunity when I have a chance to, to go see Jesus. A lot of people, you know, and I've thought about this myself. Well, you know, our faith is kind of a difficult thing because God's a spirit. We can't see him. I've never heard his voice. How many of you, though, maybe you've never heard his voice? You know when he's talking to you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. But you know what? Today we're going to find out that anytime you want to see Jesus in the flesh, just go to somebody who needs some help. The Bible says in Psalms, whoever is a friend to the helpless will be blessed mightily. God will watch over him, walk with him, be with him in, on his bed of sickness, protect him from the waters that rage. He takes it very, very seriously how we treat each other. And he... What's so cool about God is he knows each and every one of us and wants to hang out with each and every one of us. Our oldest grandson, who's now 17, I can hardly believe it. How many grandparents in the house? Okay, the rest of you, notice these hands. Hold them up again. Okay. After the service, if any of these people start walking towards you, run. They don't want to talk. They don't want to say hello. They want 
to show you pictures <laughs> of their grandkids. I'm a little classier than that. We've got a video. <laughs> but my grandson, when he was just, I don't know how old he was, it was the other day. How many of you, basically everything happened the other day? Yes, this was one of those the other day. And up to this point, Hayden, our first grandchild, had only called us Grandpa and Grandma when Holly and I were with him. Grandpa this, Grandma that. And one day, we're driving in the car. I can still remember right where we were. I'm in the back with Hayden. Holly's driving. And he says, Grandma Sanders? And he asked her a question. I'm going... I'm thinking, I want a little of this. So I said, Hayden, I just wanted to hear him say it. Does that mean I'm Grandpa Sanders? He looked at me and said, you're Bill Sanders. <laughs> My name! My name! He knew my name. It was like the coolest thing. You know what? God knows your name. He knows your name. He, is, he loves you. He loves to hang out with you. Whenever I'd go see the grandkids when they were little, they'd see me pulling up around the house. They could see me through. The, they knew when I was coming because I always called about four minutes ahead. The eagle is about to land. <laughs> and I saw him in the doorway. I saw him do this. And I knew what it was. Grandpa's coming for me, Mama. When you walked in today, you probably didn't see it. But up on top of the church, knowing that of all the things you could have done this morning, you were coming in to see Jesus. And he was up there. And he was talking to all in heaven. Shh, by the way, they're coming for me. That's how he feels. He wants to hang with us. He wants us to love people with him, through him, through us. And the more time he can spend with you, the better it is. Our little Logan, one of our grandkids, had been there for two days. And after two days with a grandkid, I am just dying because, oh my gosh, you do everything with him, okay? And, and so then finally I'm going to take him home. And one guy told me one time, uh, he, 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 can't, he, you see, with ADD, I've got several stories going, right? <laughs> Many several. This guy was climbing down a tractor, and I was asking him where the school was. I was running late. And he, he was not in a hurry. He was 80. He wanted to talk about grandkids. He climbs down, and I got the best line of my life. He said, there's one thing better than grandkids. I said, what? He said, well, you know, with grandkids, you can play with them and send them home. I said, yeah. He said, well, being a great-grandparent is even better. I said, why? He said, because when my grandkids come, I don't even remember. <laughs> Is that good or what?
<laughs> but Logan was about to leave after two days. And how many of you are thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, I didn't think you remember the story he was telling. This is amazing. <laughs> Something is working up there. Anyway, he's, I'm ready to take him home. And he reaches, as he's putting stuff in his backpack, he reaches in there. And I think it was a new pair of socks and a brand new folded up pair of underwear that I'm sure I was supposed to tell him to wear. <laughs> he looked at him and he says, Grandpa, look what I found. I said, yeah, so he goes, looks like I'm spending another night. <laughs> and that's how God wants you to feel and how he feels when he gets to hang out with you. He loves it. Martin Luther King, one of his favorite quotes, one of my favorite quotes, I don't know if it was one of his favorite quotes. It, <laughs> If I was him, they'd all be favorite because they're all famous. But this is, he said, the single most important and irresistible question is, what are you doing for someone else? Whatever you do for the least of these, Jesus said, you do for me. Whatever we do for the least of these, we do for him. Have you hugged Jesus today? Have you had a chance to write Jesus a note today or call up and say, I'm thinking of you? Have you had a chance to go visit him? He said, whenever you visit someone, you're really visiting me. And the disciples said, when did we visit you in prison? When did we give you a cup of water? When did we give you clothing? When did we give you food? When did we visit you when you were sick? He said, Whenever you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. Something in my heart kind of cringes when I think of what Jesus must think of those words that I'm sure he used because we would only understand it from our perspective. But it's the word least. I think he did that because we have levels of importance. He doesn't. Oh, yeah, he does. But it goes like this. I was in an assembly once, middle school assembly, 500 kids. That was my job. I hated school. And God had me speak in over 10,000 schools. That's a sense of humor. I hated reading. What a stupid thing to hate. I read my first book cover to cover when I was a senior in college. And he had me research and write 15 books. That's a sense of humor. But during this assembly, and I ache for the hurting. I go to schools. We do so much talk for years and years and years on bullying. Now when I go to schools, it's how to teach kids how to be kind. Breaks my heart. I was doing this assembly outside of somewhere, and <laughs> large gymnasium, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, just after lunch, 500 kids, and right up here, right while I was talking, I could see about 10 rows up, a girl about to get sick. And I could see that she was scouting out her escape plan. 
and she only had about seven kids to get down and then escape. So as I saw that, I ran as fast as I could down to the other end of the gym, and I'm trying to get everybody's attention being bigger than life, and you know why. So they wouldn't look at her. Because when someone does something embarrassing, and you're in middle school, and the whole class goes and watches you, it hurts. So I'm down here, and I notice she's getting ready to leave, but I noticed that she was shy. I noticed that she was quiet. I could tell. My oldest daughter taught me. We'd go to the restaurant, and how Emily and I, and she'd say, Dad, we need to pray for that person over there. What do you mean? I could tell they're really hurting. Wow, honey, that's great. Thank you. I didn't know what she was talking about. Then I went through a dark nine months of depression and panic attacks and fear of people. I'm starting to spot them, too. I'm down here, and she's starting to leave, and I notice that the three guys next to her, just to be whatever, were not thinking. I don't think they were mean at all, but they just leaned back and put their legs out in the aisle so she couldn't pass by, and they looked the other way, which for having a girl that's about to vomit ain't the smartest thing those boys have ever done. So I was going to go down there and help them move. How many of you think I could help three boys move from 30 feet away without even getting near them? I could. How many of you think I could help the three biggest boys in a high school, biggest football players there are, move if that girl needed to get out from 30 feet away? Trust me, I can. <laughs> Somebody said, what's the trick to holding a thousand kids' attention for an hour and a half? I said, real simple. You have to make eye contact. Let them know you love them. You have to tell stuff that's relevant. But most important, you have to let them see in your eyes that your medication could wear off at any minute. (laughs) That's the secret. (laughs) I'm getting ready to go down there and rescue my friend. But I didn't have to. As I'm down here in my vision on the side trying to talk and keep them busy, I could see this other girl stand up, look past that girl and go. And those boys backed up and she walked with that girl. Oh, my hero. I saw her at lunchtime. I was with the principal. I said, is that the girl that went? He said, I believe so. And I went out there. I said, are you? And she said, yes. And I said, I don't get a chance to honor heroes every day. I usually just give the single bow, but today I'm going down two times for you, darling. How many of you know right then that she would wish to be anywhere in the world (laughs) but where she was? I said, that was awesome. I would have given anything to have been that brave when I was in school to walk out with my friend when she was sick. She said, well, I mean, we're not friends. I mean, okay, you know, your classmate. I don't even know if it was my classmate. I said, I saw you. What do you mean? She said, this is my first day at this school. My mom let me off outside this morning. I knew no one. I came in, I couldn't find anything. My first two classes, the second one they had to get a chair. They didn't know I was coming. 
I've eaten alone before, a lot. My mom has a hard, <laughs> a hard time keeping a job. And I thought for sure that middle school kids would not be as mean as elementary kids, but they are. I hated this school at 11 o'clock. And then the announcement came after lunch, assembly, everyone's going in. I just came in and there I was, an eighth grader stuck in the middle of the sixth graders. And when that girl got sick and they wouldn't let her leave, I really hurt inside for her. And a little voice said to me, see, this is going to be your good school year. Because someone else is going to have a bad school year, like you've wanted. It won't be you. It'll be her. But the other voice said, you've got to help her. You know what it's like. The other voice said, we've talked about this. Listen, stay in the shadows. Don't do anything to bring attention to yourself. And it'll be her bad year, not yours, at this school. But she said, I had to help because I remember begging people to help me. And so I got up and I walked out with her. I'm having a hard time because I, I can't get up right now. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I gave that girl a hug. I wish I could have her address so I could send her something every year. When I think about that over and over, it makes me want to go and be with Jesus. Mother Teresa was with the poor in Calcutta. She was ministering to some men who had leprosy. For you kids, that's a bad disease. We don't see it or hear of it much, but it's boils and all over your body. And somebody said, how can you hug a leper? She said, I don't know that I've ever hugged a leper. What are you talking about? They said, that man over there. She goes, oh, <laughs> that was Jesus. In one of his distressing disguises, I was hugging Jesus. Oh, another time Mother Teresa was at a conference in New York City doing a big talk, fancy, fancy place, thousands of people, and she showed up two hours late for her own talk. They found out when they finally got there, she asked them, how many of you walked up those steps to this grand place? They all raised their hands. It was the only way in. How many of you had to walk over or around that man that was out there homeless, half dead? They had to raise their hands. It was the only way in. I had to go help him, she said. We took him to a place. He didn't want to even go at first. He'll have a nice place to sleep tonight. He'll have some food. He's getting some much-needed medicine. They told me when we brought him, he'll be right back out again. They told me when we were in there, you can't help them all. She said, I have not been sent to help them all. But I have been sent to help those that are in my path. So you don't have to look for Jesus this week. Just be aware when he's there because he or she will be in your path.
You have to notice them. That's part of the deal. I started thinking when I was praying and working on this message several weeks ago. I love to help Jesus. Whenever I go mow a neighbor's yard, her name is Phyllis, she's 85, and Holly and I affectionately refer to her as my older girlfriend. She repays me with coconut cream pies. I've never had the nerve to tell her a few gift certificates from Dick's would be much appreciated. And if any of you get it out and find out who she is and tell her I will stalk you and your family. I've got family members that make me look nice. I tell the kids, you want to go mow Jesus' yard with me? What do you mean? Aren't you going to mow Phyllis's? Oh, yeah, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. We get to mow Jesus' yard, and we'd head out to do it. Now, just a minute ago, like about right here, I was starting another story. It's gone. Does anybody remember where I was going? Just a word. What was it? Yes. Sure was. Okay. Well, anyway, see, I have notes. How many of you enjoyed Jeff's little message last week that he's worried every time Bill speaks because he doesn't know where I'm going? I love what he said next. Bill doesn't know where he's going. What fun would that be? The Good Samaritan. This wasn't the one I was going to start, but you're, you're as helpless as I am right now. Jesus said, love your neighbor. Someone said, who's my neighbor? And he told the story of the Good Samaritan. A guy was uh, driving, traveling through town, remember that? And these robbers beat him up. Next, two very high officials, nice, upstanding citizens, a priest and a Levite walked by. And they walked on the other side of the road. They didn't do him any harm. They just walked by. Then the Good Samaritan came and helped him. That's three ways you and I have a choice to live this week, people. We can be like the robbers. They're takers. Robbers take. Their motto is, what's yours is mine if I can get it. When you're mean to someone and you take a hunk of their self-worth, you're robbing them. When you talk about someone, you're robbing them. When you ignore when you forgive, not. And when you stay angry, you're robbing them. And you're robbing yourself too. So we have a choice to live like robbers, to be takers. Or we can be like the two that walk by. We can be keepers. They didn't do the man any harm, but they didn't do him any good. And the Bible says, to those of you who know what to do, and you don't do it, that's a sin. That's your sin. We can be takers, we can be keepers. Keeper's motto is, what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. Or we can be like the Good Samaritan who was like Jesus, a giver. His motto was, 
What's mine is yours. If you need it, you have it. And it's so nice to be in a room with so, so many givers and good Samaritans. It really is. Thank you for that. Never, ever, ever stop giving. I went to uh, Jackson Prison once. I was visiting. Um, I went with a group, actually, every other Monday night for a couple of weeks. I met a man named Doc Smith. He was almost 80. He had a little self-made leather hat in the corner, but he, 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 he was a lie. He, he beamed. Afterwards, I went to have a few words with him after we did this Bible study there. And he said to me, we're in a can of hell with the top ripped off. We can't look out. We can just look up. He said, if I thank Jesus with every breath I take, I couldn't thank him enough because he has released me from this prison. I met him in here, and I am free. As I was sitting back there singing, I was so full of joy because in the midst of my pain and agony and, and fear, God has given me life. I feel so good today. I hope you feel good today. If you're hurting today, he's right with you hurting. But the most beautiful thing you and I get to do all this next week is to look for Jesus, be kind to him in one of his distressing disguises. I'm going to wrap up with a little poem that it's often done at Christmas time. It's called The Great Guest. The first time I heard Every time I hear this, I just, oh, I melt. I'll never forget Holly and I were coming back from Florida once. My dad was with us and our daughter, and there was a man in this, this cold time of year, and he was a homeless man, and he was looking for some gloves. And I bought some gloves and told the lady to give them to him. I can still see him. I'll see him forever in such a wonderful vision. As soon as we were driving out, he went outside and he held those gloves. It was just great. I am a mess. <laughs> the great guest came. Think of who you can reach this week. <clears throat> Before the cathedral... In grandeur, Rose. At Engelberg, where the Danube goes. Before the forest of silver spires went airily up through the smoke and fires. Before the oak made ready the beam. When yet the arch was stone and dream. On the very site where the altar was laid, Conrad the cobbler plied his trade. It happened one day at the year's white end. Two neighbors called on their old-time friend. They found a shop, meager and mean, made gay with a hundred boughs of green. Conrad was stitching, his face a shine, when suddenly he stopped as he twitched the twine, and he said, good friends, good news. At dawn today, while the cock was scaring the night away, 
the Lord appeared in a dream to me. He said, I come today, your guest to be. So I have been busy with feet of stir, strewing the floor with branches of fir. He comes today so the table is spread with milk, honey, and wheaten bread. His friends went home as the day grew still. He watched for Jesus' shadow over the sill. As he lived all the moments, o'er and o'er, when the Lord would enter his lowly door. The knock, the call, the latch pulled up, the lighted face, the offered cup. He would bend down and wash the feet where the spikes had been. Then he would kiss his hands where the nails went in, and then at last would break bread with him. As Conrad mused, there passed his pain, a beggar drenched in the driving rain. <laughs> he called him in from the stony street. He gave him shoes for his bruised feet. The beggar left, and there came a crone, her face with wrinkles and sorrow sewn. A bundle of faggots bought her back, and she was bent with the wrench and rack. He gave her his loaf, then he steadied her load, and she made her way down the weary road. And then to his door came a little child, lost and afraid in a world so wild, in a big dark world, catching it up. He gave it the milk from the waiting cup, then took it home to its mother's arms, out of the reach of the world's alarms. As the day went down in the crimson west, with it the hopes of the blessed guest, Conrad sighed. Why is it, Lord, that your feet delay? Did you forget this was the day? And soft in the silence, a voice he heard. Lift up your heart, child. I kept my word. Three times I entered your friendly door. Three times my shadow was on your floor. I was the beggar with the bruised feet. I was the woman you gave to eat, and I was the child on the frightening street. His disciples asked him, but Lord, when did we give you food or water or visit you? He said, whenever you did it, for the least of these. Let's go find Jesus this week. Thank you, Father.